1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. It is the best science that we have been able to find uh, in, this, in this universe, in this solar system, in this, on this continent, wherever we are, perhaps. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but joining me, as always, are the brilliant, the amazing Catriona and Claire. How are you both?
0: Hello, I'm well. And I am too.
1: Oh, that is that is all we need to know. Well, actually, that's not all we need to know. We also need to know what <laughs> science you are talking about on this wonderful episode that we have for you today. Claire, what are you bringing to the science table?
0: Well, it well it's interesting that you make reference to the universe, to the solar system, because I think both Kat and I are going big um, sort of solar system cosmology um um astrobiology for you all today the science is going to be out of this world <laughs> that's right that's right um because it is the end of the year and what better way to sign off the year than reflecting on not just the last year but you know um, the last 4.5 billion years. Sure, um, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is the in end of anything- the last
1: 4.5 billion years, isn't
0: it? It is. That- <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, and if you don't know what happened 4.5 billion years ago, um, well, uh, researchers can, um, suggest to you there is a theory that that is in fact when, um, a giant. A protoplanet around the size of Mars crashed, collided into um, early Earth. And um, there was such a huge collision that it created the moon.
1: That is, I mean, that is quite a claim. Uh, And, you know, like you said, for those who might have not noticed that, I mean, they probably noticed the moon and thought, where did that come (laughs) from?
0: That's right. I know. Yeah, that's one of the big questions. Where did the moon come from? And uh, 4.5 billion years ago um is when we need to look back to to answer that question. Um so I'm going to talk about some new research that um adds some evidence to this theory and um it's made even more special because the name of the Mars-like planet um and the name of my daughter are the same. So um That's an
1: incredible coincidence
0: it is an incredible coincidence um that yeah yeah that we have um the same name uh of some some world changes in our midst both the little ones and the big ones excellent
1: i can't wait to hear that Kat, can you top that
0: hi i don't know
2: <laughs> um I think we just end there. Um, but if if we do rewind the clock, uh, 4.5 billion years, as, as you do, back then there wasn't really much water around, at least not on Earth. Not that it was exactly Earth then, and that's what Claire's going to talk about, so I won't step on your toes. But there wasn't really water on in the inner solar system, the four rocky inner planets, and now we sort of know that Earth is covered in it. We can see all the water that that's all around Earth. Um, so I'm going to talk about how the water got here, but more importantly, where else is there water in our solar system?
1: Um, I'm guessing somewhere, somewhere. well, I was going to say somewhere wet, but it could be somewhere icy as well, <laughs> I suppose. It
2: could be. It could be yeah, somewhere okay. icy, yeah. Because when yeah. I'm t- when I say water, I could be talking about liquid water. I could be talking about ice water. Water vapor, not so much.
1: <laughs> mm. I was gonna go some say something about the, the rains down in Africa, but I think we're going further than that, I suspect.
2: <laughs> a little uh, bit further, yeah. just a little bit.
1: Okay, we have um, we have some some mysteries to solve. Where did the moon come from? Where did the water come from? I'm starting to feel like we don't know anything. Uh, let's <laughs> find out the answers to these important questions on with the show. <laughs>
0: So there are some big questions about how the Earth came to be and one question that you might have thought about when you looked up at the night sky, saw the big glowing orb that we all look at up there. I'm, I'm of course, talking about the moon. (laughs) Maybe you've wondered where did... Our loon, la loon. Where did our moon come from? Like, was it always there? Yeah, a I mean. A celestial friend or a rabbit or a man, was it?
1: Surely it's just been around forever. It's been as long as I remember.
0: I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Oh, gosh. Well, um, you know, it, in living human memory, it's always been there. It's always been accompanying, cha- changing the tides, lighting up the night. Uh, but there is new research, and I'm busting to tell you about it before the end of the year, Um, and that gives us a better understanding of where the moon comes from. Um, and the reason I'm so keen to talk about it is that the answer to the question, where did the moon come from, Um, as I said in the intro, is also the name of my tiny little daughter, and that answer is... Thea, some people might pronounce it Thea but I pronounce it Thea. so so that's right mm. so that's <laughs> right so I'm gonna say Thea in this story
1: so Claire your daughter I understand is still quite young how did she create the moon
0: well it's just the name Chris ah, okay. she didn't create the moon or did she She's, um, she's world changing, but, um, mostly for a mum and dad <laughs> at this stage, let me just say. But also, no expectations, Saya. Um, okay. But let me go back a little bit because the original Thea, um, is the name of a Greek Titan. So, um, the original Thea, she was the mother of the moon, um, who's the goddess ah, Selene. Appropriate name. And she's also the um, mother of the sun god Helios. So my small child, my small daughter, Theia, she was born on the vernal equinox, you know, when the sun and the moon are equal. Um, so we thought Thea was a perfect name for her. But Thea is also the perfect name for another much larger object um, and that happens to be an ancient protoplanet around the size of Mars. <laughs> and scientists so scientists called this um supposed ancient protoplanet um Thayer because it collided with well they hypothesized that it collided with the earth 4.5 billion years ago smashing everything into pieces and creating a whole lot of havoc um which then created the earth as we know it and love it and call home and more importantly um, creating a satellite that wasn't there before uh, the moon. So a great name, huh? They are. Hmm.
1: So, I mean, we we have all our movies, you know, our Deep Impacts, our Armageddons and these sort of things where like asteroids hit the Earth with devastating results. We had the dinosaurs. We know that that's you know what happened to them. Mm, but mm. that's 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 nothing compared to like a planetoid something the size of of Mars. Yet no wonder. Yeah. It, created such big changes, but what, what devastation did it do to the earth? Like what, what did it do?
0: I mean, it, 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 just changed everything. The earth was only 85% of its current size before Thayer impacted. And then it created, um, the moon and then just made earth a lot bigger as well. And has sort of just, just changed everything. And I'll, and I'll talk a little bit about exactly what it changed, um, in the rest of the story but yeah this it's been a theory um it's also known as the giant impact theory the big splash which i like (laughs) the big splash splash. implies wet to me anyway it does that's right maybe maybe there was water 4.5 billion years ago something they're not telling us or was the rock all molten
1: when it happened
0: well the rock Oh, yeah, maybe. The Big Splash. Yeah. Because it was a pretty new earth. Mm. Yeah. So maybe that's the splash, mm. Molten Rock. Oh, gosh, that sounds like a, the world's worst puddle. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also called the Thayer Impact. Um, and yes, as, it, as the name suggests, the moon was formed from these remnant ejections of this this collision between the early Earth and Thayer. Um, and interestingly, this theory, it goes back quite a way. So it was originally suggested in 1898 by um, a scientist called George Darwin, um, and he hypothesized that the Earth and the moon came from one single body, um, but didn't quite... Quite talk about sort of, uh, that it was this protoplanet Theia. And then in 1946, Reginald Daly hypothesized that the moon was caused by an impact with the Earth. Um, and yes, it would have been an incredibly huge impact. So, um, it, it melted most of Earth and Theia. So it was such force that both planets melted and reformed um like i said before earth a lot bulkier um and meanwhile huge amounts of dust and rock were blasted into orbit so for a little while there earth i guess would have had some rings around it Yeah, oh, wow. and then and then um and then they came together and coalesced to create the moon um yeah so this giant impact hypothesis it sounds pretty Um, amazing and by all accounts it explains a lot about what we know about the earth and the moon but like all good theories it has to be supported and we need evidence for um, this collision this hypothesized collision and that brings me to this research that I want to talk about that was published in November I've been busting to tell you all Um, it involved an international team of researchers and a paper published in Nature titled Moon Forming Impactor as a Source of Earth's Basal Mantle Anomalies. Okay, so let me break that down. The Moon Forming Impactor here is, of course, our Dethea, um, our Mars sized planet. And Earth's, Earth's Basal Mantle Anomalies, um, try saying that 10 times fast, <laughs> are in fact these, I guess, continent-sized blobs um, that are buried deep, 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 deep inside the Earth's mantle beneath Africa and the Pacific Ocean. And these blobs um, that uh, geoscientists have discovered um, are different to the rest of our Earth. They're very, very different. Now, so what's, yes.
1: what's the mantle again? Can you just remind us what the mantle is? <laughs>
0: <laughs> isn't it the like uh the just above the core of the earth yeah so there's like the core and then there's the mantle and then there's the
2: crust there we go oh, okay. is it, Thank is you. it <laughs> like, So <laughs> sort of like the the
1: sandwich filling if the earth was a Ferrero rocher would the mantle be like the hazelnutty cream thing and yes. the core is like the, the nut in the middle and the crust is And the then chocolate. the crust is the foil. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: The mantle, oh, yeah, that's the true. mantle is the um I've eaten a lot of Ferrero Rochers recently. Mm. It's the Nutella. Okay, mm. that's what it is. Yeah. In the yep, yep, just around the hazelnut. Yep.
1: But it's bigger because exactly. it's also it's most of the earth is the, like is the mantle like the biggest the biggest part, isn't it? Like the thickest part.
0: Yes, yep. it is the thickest part. Yep. Um and so so there's these blobs that have been discovered in the mantle, um, in our Nutella mantle, then technically known as large, low-velocity provinces. <laughs> Just these names. They are originally discovered by seismologists, um, but exactly where they came from, you know, or, you know, what was going on with them, it's never been clear and it's certainly never been linked to, um, fair, you know, a, a, a potential collision with a Thayer-like, Mars-like planet um, 4.5 billion years ago. That is until the researchers from the California Institute of Technology and Shanghai Astronomical Observatory, they used computer simulations um, to look at the giant impact uh, between Thayer and Earth and, um, and convection currents inside Earth, inside the mantle. And according to these simulations, the collision between Earth and Theia would have melted the upper half of the Earth's mantle. So that allowed a big chunk of Theia, the planet, maybe even around 10% of this planet, to get into the Earth's mantle, penetrate its way in, and gradually... Sort of sink, start sinking down. Oh, wow. So then over the next four and a half billion years, um, with convection within the earth, sort of starts moving these blobs, um, of what used to be part of Thayer, um, through the mantle, and we start to see these, you know, these, these blobs take the form that we see today. Um, now these blobs are, two and a half thousand kilometres um, buried deep down in the Earth, um, but they are slightly denser than the surrounding mantle mm. rock. So um, they're very close to the boundary with the Earth's core. So they have been moving slowly, slowly, slowly through the mantle towards the core. Um, now the next steps will be to verify these computer simulations um, with some actual moon rock. Um, They're hopefully, you know, sometime in the future when space missions get back to the moon, uh, hoping to get some rocks from the mantle of the moon uh, back to Earth so we can do some chemical signature uh, work of the blobs on Earth and the mantle on the moon. Okay. Um, And if they're the same, then, hey, presto, we've got ourselves a Thayer earth planet meld which is um which is pretty cool as well wow yeah so there we have it a little bit of thayer has been discovered to be left on and in earth just in time for another little thayer's time on earth
1: (laughs) congratulations on your discovery which may well prove to be among the most significant in the history of science i cannot accept half-baked theories that sell newspapers i'm I'm a scientist. Who are you who are so wise in the ways of science? A most distinguished scientist whose name we know, even in the wild of Transylvania. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you are listening to Lost in Science. So,
2: Claire, you were talking about Theia, and I felt like we should plan it to be a very spacey episode. <laughs> um, so, yes, I've just been thinking of that as, as you were talking. Um, but, no, I, I would like to talk about where the water comes from and, and where there is water in our entire solar system. Um, so as I alluded to at the start – When the solar system first formed, it was really, really hot in the inner solar system. And so the four inner planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth and Mars, they didn't have any water because it was way too hot for water to sort of stick around. Um, And so it wasn't available to even sort of stick into all that dust, that rock, that gas. Um, So then that leads to where did the water come from? And hopefully I'll have answered that by the end. I'm not going to get into it straight away. Because I want to talk about, first, the fact that we have water here on Earth. And I think it's so, so special that water can be in all three states here on Earth. And they can't say that everywhere else in the solar system. So you're probably familiar with liquid water. We drink it. We swim in it. Um, our oceans are full of liquid water. But something that perhaps you don't think about so much is that, you know, we have water vapor in the clouds. So that, that is water as a gas form. And if you go right down to the south or up north, you get water as ice form. So under normal conditions, we get water in all three different states of matter. And water is pretty important for us here on Earth. And if you think about the oceans, what they do is this wonderful thing of spreading heat around the planet and I, I did a little bit of maths a few weeks ago and if my maths is correct <laughs> um, if not I might just be a little bit out but the oceans take in a lot of heat because it takes a lot of heat energy to heat up a little bit of water and so the oceans all around the planet they take in heat from the sun constantly and the amount of heat that's absorbed by by the oceans in one day would be enough to power australia for about 9 years wow so depending on the maths, it's it's four and a half to nine years, but it's a long time. Like there's a lot of heat energy that's taken up by the oceans and that's spread all around the planet. So the oceans are great at keeping us warm, but then also the water vapor in the air, that's kind of like a blanket trapping the heat so it doesn't all just escape back out into space. And so we're not too hot, we're not too cold. And that's thanks to the water that we have here. But If we, if we then go to the planet closest to the sun, Mercury, it's very, very different to earth. They, it doesn't have oceans. It doesn't have an atmosphere. And so because of that, it's not, it does not have good temperature control. It swings in the daytime. It goes from 400 degrees Celsius or over 400 degrees Celsius. And then in the nighttime, when it's facing away from the sun, it plummets to almost minus 200 degrees Celsius. So massive, massive temperature swings. But something else that's different about Mercury to Earth is that Mercury is not on a tilt. So Earth is on a little bit of a tilt, 23 degrees to be a bit more exact. Um, but it's because of that tilt that Earth has seasons. That's why we get a little bit hotter in the summer, a little bit colder in the, in the winter time. But because Mercury doesn't have that, Its poles are constantly very, very, very cold. Kind of like our poles, except our poles still do experience summer and winter, whereas their poles are just constant kind of winter, winter conditions, or at least Mercury's version of winter. And so it's just really cold all the time. And so people thought, what if the craters in Mercury that are permanently in the shadows, that never get sunlight, maybe they have water. And so when um, a particular radio telescope back in 1991, the Arecibo radio telescope, it used radar and it, it sort of looked for patches and it saw some kind of shiny, highly reflective patches in the North Pole of Mercury. But we didn't really know what it was. We're just like, oh, okay, that's highly reflective. Cool. And then it wasn't until Messenger, which was the first and actually still only spacecraft to orbit Mercury. We've had spacecraft go to Mercury, but this is the only one to orbit it. And so this was 2011 to 2015 that orbited Mercury. It saw in the North Pole, in those craters, where we'd seen that highly reflective sort of surface, it was ice. It's water ice. Um, so Mercury does indeed have water ice in the pole. Well, at least we know in the North Pole, wow. right? We're in the shadows where it's almost minus 170 degrees always. Um, yeah, a little bit of water. Even the planet closest to the sun. Yep. Tick. Um, Venus which is the hottest planet in the solar system because there's the the greenhouse effect, which you don't want too much of. And Venus has way too much of it. So it's way, way too hot. Um, Venus is super hot because it's kind of got like a blanket and it's always 400 degrees Celsius day, night. So you wouldn't really get any liquid water in all just boil away. And then the thick carbon dioxide atmosphere is too hot, too dry and too dense. So there we, we don't think there's any water on Venus. Um, So no water there, but as we continue on our journey, very, very similar to Mercury is our moon. So we're coming back towards Earth this time Um, and in the South Pole and, and perhaps North Pole as well, we also think that there is water ice in, the, again, craters that are hidden from the sun, really, really cold all the time. And previous moon landing, so the Apollo missions, they've all landed kind of around the equator because it's been easier to land there. I'm not saying it's easy at all, but easier to land on the equator than heading to the poles. And so now with the new Artemis mission and with you know, other missions from other space agencies as well. People are hoping to go to the poles because there could be permanent water ice in those craters there. And really, if there is water, that's excellent. We could split that into hydrogen and oxygen and not only have water for drinking, but also oxygen for astronauts to breathe. Um, And we can even have rocket fuel. So that's pretty, pretty nifty that there's water on the moon. Um, Mars, Mars did have an ocean mm. 3 billion years ago. Not too long ago? No, pretty long ago. <laughs> um, so 3 billion years ago, it had a very, very similar climate to Earth. And this was sort of around the time that life was developing on Earth. Um And we know that in the northern lowlands, there's kind of like a basin that's very smooth as if it was once an ocean bed and um, grooves as if there were like rivers and streams and ponds and lakes. But that water has long since gone. There is a little bit of ice again at at the pole. So at the South Pole, there's a little cap of carbon dioxide ice, which you may know of as dry ice. So underneath that carbon dioxide ice, we think there's a little bit of water ice as well. But if Mars once had oceans, they are long, long gone. And a problem, well, their massive problem in terms of not having water is that they don't have a key thing that Earth has. So here on Earth, we have a protective force field in the form of a magnetic field. And that sort of deflects all of these particles that are just whizzing at us from the sun, solar particles that are very, very damaging. And so they strip away the atmosphere of Mars. So Mars has a very, very thin atmosphere compared to earth, whereas we're just protected by that magnetic field. And because it lost its atmosphere or the atmosphere deteriorated, the water just goes out into space. There's nothing to sort of keep the water there on Mars. So goodbye water there. Um, and I just want to move on to two more plates or two more planets, Uranus and Neptune, which you might be familiar. They've got that blue colour, which is is quite beautiful, and that's because their atmospheres are made of hydrogen and ammonia, <laughs> um, and also methane. It's the methane that gives them the blue colour, and in the cores, we think it's a, a very very hot. Ocean of ammonia and liquid water and methane. So, I kind of like to think of it as you'd be swimming in uh, wee <laughs> and farts because ammonia is in wees and methane's in farts. Um, but, yeah, super, super hot oceans that have retained the heat from when Uranus and Neptune first formed. So, there'd be oceans like wow. 5,000 degrees Celsius, very, very hot. So Europa for Jupiter is is a big one that we know of that has water, and it actually has two point four times the amount of water there than we have here on Earth. And Titan, one of Saturn's moons, has eleven times the amount of water that we have here on Earth. Um, And everyone sort of knew that Titan would be exciting because it's sort of um, got a nice atmosphere that's set up to have a lot of water. Um, So Titan was. Kind of a a given, but Enceladus is another moon of Saturn that was very small and everyone thought it'd be boring, but there are plumes of water that are coming off Enceladus. Enceladus is like spurting out jets of water that Cassini, the spacecraft that was going around Saturn, sort of tasted. And that water that's coming off Enceladus actually makes Saturn's outer ring. So Saturn's rings are 99% water. And a lot of the outer ring is coming off from one little moon. So, yeah, lots and lots of water out there in the solar system on different moons, different planets, heaps more water than here on Earth. And how did the water get here? Well, we think it's actually because there are lots and lots of bits of rock out there that have water, way more water than Earth. We think the asteroids came along and dumped water on us.
1: (laughs) We know that like comets and those sort of things have water in them. I believe some of the um, the missions to to asteroids and comets and things have found signs of water ice mm. and water in the rocks there, like you're saying.
2: Yeah, totally. So like Ceres, for example, which is a dwarf planet, but like a massive bit of rock that already has, it's tiny compared to Earth, but has more water than Earth. So if something like Ceres came down and, and dumped all that water, that's mm. probably where we got it from. Um Comets and asteroids are a little bit different. They do have different water, so we think that it came from asteroids rather than comets. But that's just a sort of technicality.
0: All I can imagine is is an asteroid with a big bucket, just like coming down and like yeah, just dump, just <laughs> dump. like you know the ice bucket challenge on the top of Earth. Now it's amazing. <laughs> Ta da! Here you go. Here's your water. <laughs>
1: And that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded for 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where Lost in Science on 3CR or on Twitter where we're at Lost in Science 1. You can find us on your favourite podcast app where if you get the chance, please give us a good rating and review as that will raise us up in the search rankings so other people can find the science. Or you can listen to us however you listen to us now where the same time every week, Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost Lost in Science.
0: Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.